the new channel. The new channel. Hashtag TNC now. The views, opinions, and insights expressed in the following shows are those of the host, producers, guests, and viewers. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the channel. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the new channel, Our Passion Transforms, a community channel that sees all things new. My name is, Jen is Jennifer Nuya, live streaming from Cavita, Philippines. And you're watching Stories from the Fringe, Season 2, Episode 23. that you can hear me well by typing into the comments section where you are joining us from today. You can also use the same comment section to drop in your comments or share your comments, ask your questions, or just whatever you want to share with us. We will also be dropping links from time to time that you can copy for later use or click on. To ensure that you make the most of our time together, we encourage you to turn off all distractions and prepare to take notes, mental awareness, and just be fully engaged and focused with our guest today, Steve Sanders. His book has just launched, and I'm happy to say that his book, Five Horizons, is already in Amazon, number two in investing, three in business development and entrepreneurship, and four in professional investments and securities. And he will also be launching his book in the U.S. later. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. It's, it's a great pleasure. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And thank you so much for agreeing to this really early interview. Well, you can see it's dark in London outside where I am at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we, have, uh, we have weather like the Philippines, which, well, actually weather like the summertime in the Philippines. So it's pretty hot during the daytime. Real pleasure mm -hmm. to be up in the middle of the night talking to you in the cool air. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, right? This this pandemic has some upsides and some downsides also. And one upside I see is this has erased the, the physical borders and opened the digital spaces. So who would have thought that people like um, us together here sharing the same space, you in London and myself in the Philippines? Yeah, I've had a great so, many conversations about how it's unlocked the potential from people and the, and the thought patterns and work approaches that people have. So it's definitely, uh, it, there, there, there are, I mean, I think there are too many downsides of the pandemic, but, but it's good that we look optimistically at what came out of it that was, uh, that was worthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And now speaking of pandemic, um, how has this pandemic, how has this pandemic changed the business as we know it? Change the sorry, the business landscape as we know it. Well, that's a big question. How did, um, right? how did it lead to pur uh, the purpose-led businesses? Yeah, I, so, and, and I think that's a a, a, a key question. Right? I think that this is a moment of reevaluation. Um, you know, when uh, anyway we have a generational shift underway um, where where um, the generation Z and Y are going to be aged between 30 and 50 soon and uh, th those those people are the the majority of our customers or the really high value customers and 
the majority mm. of our really high value employees. And so uh, to be going through the pandemic at this particular moment in the shift, it's like a trigger point, right? And it for if I mean, even if they weren't going through a reevaluation anyway, Generation mm -hmm. X up towards their late 40s and 50s were, were going through, hey, let me slow down and think about how I drag my ass into, uh, into the office every day and, and uh, work for the, for the big man uh, earning a salary. Can I, you know, and, uh, can I do things differently for myself and for, for my values and aspirations? Um, and uh, so, so that was happening anyway. And if you look at the, uh, the health services and the, and the public sector in, uh, in the United States, they've lost about a million people from their employment. And, and in the UK, lost about half a million people. And there's mm -hmm. around 2,000 vacancies in the UK. It's a signal that, that there's this, this shift is underway. And the pandemic mm -hmm. must, have, must have been an enabler for people to say, well, hold on, this is, this is a, bit, a bit cuckoo, you know? I mean, I know that I've had, to, I've had hardship through the, through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, I really want to get more out of life. I, I, I need to understand why I'm doing all of this. And mm -hmm. that has definitely led to, um, to some closer contemplation, not only of how a person chooses who they're going to work for, but of course, we've had to go lean, right? We've really mm -hmm. had to uh, figure out how to buy, buy less and buy better uh, mm -hmm. as individual consumers. And, uh, and, and the businesses that are operating supply chains have had to think much more carefully about whether, you know, more selectively about, about who they buy from and what, and what they buy as businesses. So that kind of, that, that massive combination of factors is, mm -hmm. is an opportunity, really. And, and, and it, this is the way it's come through. People have started looking at businesses and asking, well, what is it about this business that matches my principles? Mm -hmm. um, and the surveys and the studies of trends and opinions in the marketplace are very much um, you know, echoing and amplifying this. 75% of people have directly said that they will change their suppliers to a company that better reflects their principles. Mm -hmm. uh, so so what we, what we uh, position in, in the Five Horizons book is this is a, this is a really key moment when, uh, which is calling for businesses to think more carefully about their purpose and about their values and principles and to not just have a page that says, hey, we're, we've got five values in our business and here they are, one, two, three, four, five, but to actually make that part of your value proposition, make that your difference and to see what happens to your brand value and, and, your, and your customer attractiveness. Because I think this, mm -hmm. is, this is a moment where that is really definitely playing out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so dear viewers, having built businesses and rescued businesses to multi-billion dollars, Steve's approach and models are embracing startups, scale-ups, and corporates. So as we have mentioned earlier, this includes his Five Horizons, which is in his book, the, the title of his book, and Proposition Transformation, Business Growth Mechanics, and more. And he is also a self-proclaimed non-conformist, and challenging norms has become a helpful habit. So I believe that you are being a conformist if we are saying that um, we have to do away with the old way of doing business, and that is... Um, having purpose-driven businesses. But the question, Steve, now is how do we balance the shareholder interests and um, our own values? So so that's a, a, a very, you know, I know I'm, I'm a person who makes bold statements because when you are trying to confront a changing world or a changing competitive landscape and you make ambiguous or guarded statements that, that sort of try and protect people from the hard truth, um, mm -hmm. they usually ignore you, right? So you have to be a person of bold statements, which is why I, I say things like the time's gone for, for shareholder first and last or profit first and last. Um, because honestly, I, I personally believe that time has gone, uh, if I'm honest. Um, but But you won't see that automatically among all businesses. Obviously, there are there are always going to be diverse people in business as there is in society. And uh, some people will disagree with this. So we'll see this actually play out over several years. But mm -hmm. this, this is a game of understanding 
when when things change in how people choose to buy products and mm -hmm. uh, when things change in how people choose who they're going to work for and i actually think with the evolving mindset in in let's say in uh southeast central asian countries and african countries as well where where they've been through a period of leaning out you know uh, doing without and recalibrating mm -hmm. their businesses and where mm -hmm. let's say large orders from from western uh retailers have just were just stopped you know my my, my partner runs a business that, that buys her products from cambodia and distributes into the europe and mm -hmm. she made a point of boosting her online business um and 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 honoring all of the orders to the cambodian suppliers because one of the reasons for the business existing is to support the cambodian community and you really wouldn't be supporting the community if you just said sorry we're we're uh, we're in this for profit and we've got to let you starve right so so this was this was we we, we were in it together and i think that that was um uh, uh not very common so i think that it's not only among employees and consumers but it's also among an evolving supply side economies where there is an increasing level of experience and, ex and uh, intellect uh, intellectual capacity around the around the business there's disposable money in in the supply side economy and people will be more judiciously choosing where they put their loyalty as suppliers as consumers and as em employees mm -hmm. um, so when you see a change like that happening and it might be in the past something really i'm sorry but it's banal but it's something like i will only buy from a company if they're on the internet because i love the mm -hmm. internet so mm -hmm. you would be foolish to ignore the internet uh, because mm -hmm. it's a channel of preference to to the customers this is a different shift this is a shift in human values and we're getting towards the point of uh, what I call an existential precipice around mm -hmm. so many factors of existence as a species um, that uh, it will be driving generations to the point of where there is zero tolerance, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say. The blame lies at the doors of businesses uh, in the eyes of these generations. They are blaming business for being selfish and profit-driven, and they will reward businesses that show that they have more soul okay mm -hmm. and, and more meaning and purpose uh, and and that i think is going to uh, go straight down to the bottom line of the profitability of these companies and so so the position that the book takes is not only to highlight the issues of the world which are already well known uh, but to say this is this is not about being nice anymore this is about what you're good at you're good at knowing how to make profit. Okay, so let's stack up all of the strategic planning frameworks that you'll know and love. And I'll educate you a little bit about the Five Horizons framework too. And uh, and and there's a couple of models in there, which we can talk about later. But, uh, you know, let's stack all of these up and let's use this shift that we're talking about as a mm -hmm. typical strategic analysis consideration. And I will prove to you that you are at risk of bankrupting your company if you don't do something about this you need to study what you do and how you affect the stakeholders in mm -hmm. your entire ecosystem and you have to demonstrate that you have to prove it right you have to you have to do something better and and make that material because people are watching and as soon as a competitor comes up that will offer greater purpose greater values-based, principles-based way of operating with greater scrutiny of their impact on stakeholders throughout the supply chain, as soon as that competitor comes up, you've lost your consumers and you've, and you've lost your, your, uh, your employees. Now, that's not going to happen overnight. It's not no, an instant, but that is definitely, it's the trend that I um, have I've seen and witnessed and I've measured and I think that, that this is the wake-up moment, which is telling businesses of all shapes and sizes, uh, mm. you know, things like the, the one of the largest, I'm not going to mention the name of the investment organization, but one of the largest investors in the world has said the next, the next um, uh, unicorn, which a mm. unicorn is a company that's valued at over a billion dollars. Mm. The next unicorn is not going to have anything to do with businesses that we've valued highly in the past. 
it's going to be companies that deal with sustainability issues mm -hmm. um and, and that that's the future that's what's important to humanity and and i think we better get ourselves recalibrated and refocused on delivering that or else mm -hmm. i hear you um personally i there were some big name brands that i used to follow over the years but now i don't um I won't touch their products with a 10-foot pole because when I understood the supply chain, I'm all for um, equality, and that includes equality in working conditions and also in wages. So some of the big-name brands that I used to follow over the years, I found out that they were employing um, people in sweatshops and also uh, using child labor to skirt mm -hmm. benefits that, of course, would be demanded by people of age. Yeah. And um, now uh, I recall there's this one previous interview on the show that I did. Um, he's working for a company, and it's um, about circular clothing, where mm -hmm. you can check um, their supply chain, that it's sustainable, and also they they use and they help the communities, the very communities that produce the products for them. So I'm all for that. So I, I, I fully understand what you're saying, that people are now shifting to brands that are circular, also sustainable. Like we have the, the, the planet to also consider, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and sustainability. I mean, if you visit the United Nations website, this sounds like a big picture thing, but it's very interesting to read the 17 United Nations Sustainable mm -hmm. Development Goals. It's beautifully presented in, in a graphic, and you can click on individual goals and look at what they mean and what can be done about them. But they've done a really good job of, uh, of categorizing the things that are important. <laughs> These are the things people care about now. If you genuinely want to know where to look, you can look there, right? And then mm -hmm. and ask yourself some honest questions about what happens in your business and, mm -hmm. and what's important to your customers and employees. And if you don't know, go and ask them, right? Mm -hmm. And this is every 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 organization, small and large, has a community they serve, um, and they have stakeholders, and most of those stakeholders they ignore. So you're going to find out very quickly what they care about when you ask them. Just that mm -hmm. some business business people are a bit afraid of that. They're afraid of what they'll uncover, and they'll think that by asking the question, you will somehow disrupt and uh, and cause the problem to exist. Well, you're not, you're not really. The problem exists. It's about to bite you. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but rather, you put yourself in a position where you know what's going on and you can act upon it first. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point that you highlighted that asking the shareholders and the stakeholders, including the customers. Um, I saw this one post from a friend that was several days ago. We, um, as business leaders, we used to rely heavily on surveys, but actually he said that um, his realization is it's better to get out of the building to get close to the customers so that you can know what they are wants their needs and also their pain points so that your their, your market fit solution will be better poised right to address mm -hmm. their pain points Absolutely. now you, we you we've been talking or we've been discussing about the great shift but i'm pretty sure that before there is a great shift there are some tipping points right that led to this great shift would you like to um would you like to share some of these tipping points in society well, or businesses? Yeah, that's that really can... a good question. Yeah, it's a great question, Jennifer. Thanks for that. I, I, wow, it's thought-provoking because there are, I mean, this question of tipping points, right, that appears in the book, uh, and, and you're picking up on that. Um, it is, if you are to trust that there is a society-wide shift happening um, and you're going to base strategic choices on that, then um, uh, you need to you need to look at, when those uh, those tipping points might be reached, uh, when a sufficient quantity of the market or, or uh, uh, edges towards that opinion, and it it takes them over the edge, and then suddenly the vast majority of people follow, and that's that's what I class as a tipping point. And these trends that are, I mean, even if you look way back, right? And this is now I go back to my first exposure to um, organic produce. 
back in the 1980s, actually. It was a lunatic idea. Sorry about the political incorrectness, but people looked at you as though you were strange. They would joke about Prince Charles as though he was, well, because he did talk to, to trees, actually, but um, <laughs> they would make jokes about because because he was trying to increase awareness about, about this. Uh, a person that I knew used to drive for 90 miles to buy organic produce that he would sell in a street market. Um, and, and it was very rare, but it was still an outlier opinion that was being talked about. And now, of course, at some point in time over the over that long period, it's now 40 years, at some point in time, we, we've arrived at a situation where pretty much all um, supermarkets have uh, organic alternatives. In fact, there's a drive to, to make that even move towards the majority. Uh, but that's a drive. Um, it's not really, it's a, it's a big investment by people. But if you want to make a higher profit out of your products, that's one mm. way of achieving it. So, and, and it is, it's across the spectrum. You look at um, the question of vegan, which is more than vegetarian, of course, for the uninitiated. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of vegans listening to this, but but it's 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 a, a movement that that aims for a fundamental change in the relationship mm. between humans and, and other animal species. And how we treat each other, and how we treat them, basically, because we're at the we're at the centre of the issues uh, uh, in, in the in the in interconnected um, species ecosystems, um, and and that was I I I I hate to say it, but a while ago um, that was a sniggering, you know, oh yeah, vegans uh, in the mainstream people would wouldn't mm -hmm. really wouldn't really value their opinion. They would think they're a bit strange or a bit extreme, or but now of course every shoe shop. Uh, there's vegan options in, in you know, certainly in, in in the UK and the US and Europe. In most places, mm -hmm. they're supplying vegan options on the menu, and uh, and, and and there are entire vegan uh, restaurants and uh, and brands, entire uh, vegan brands. So that happened in a, in a, over a period of I don't know how many years exactly since they started pushing for it, mm -hmm. but certainly since the initial observation of a trend to the point where it's more or less mainstream adopted isn't many years, right? So that there was a tipping point moment that the fashion brands and the food brands and the restaurant chains were watching for that tipping point, making preparations and, uh, and, and moving on it. There's, there's also, and I'm not quite sure about um, whether that's a, this is as equaled in different societies around, around the world, but there is a transgender movement there's a generally a, a movement towards acceptance of diversity, okay, mm -hmm. um, of all kinds, right? Of racial diversity, of uh, gender diversity, of all, the, all sorts of uh, questions that were not even considered important or relevant for people to talk mm -hmm. about. And yet, if I look at last year's British film industry's uh, um, uh, schedule, almost every film that was on the schedule, almost every one that I could see had one of these transitional, transformational themes associated with it. And that's because mm -hmm. the investment in television products and movie products was being guided towards supporting these changing uh, indicators of, of shift, right? So this is a, a dawning, it's a cultural dawning, it's a commercial change process. And you, you see these tipping points, we're going over them, um, protein-based alternatives to meat that within 10 to 15 years we are going to be heading towards the 50% mark of the global mm -hmm. market will be protein-based alternatives. Alternative dairy, 60% of the market in the US will be alternative dairy by the time mm -hmm. 2030, 2040 comes. These are happening. Click, click, click. And this is a, it's like a tsunami, sorry for, for that parallel, but it is, it's you, you, an accumulation of of pressure behind that tidal flow that makes mm -hmm. the ultimate shift inevitable, yeah? Because the awareness and the awakening is so huge and it's in every level of how we think and do things. And so if you are in a company that, I don't know, supplies, um, supplies cucumbers and you wrapping those cucumbers in plastic that takes about 35, 40 years to degrade and it mm -hmm. releases toxins into the into the into the environment, uh, and your competitors think that's a bit silly. Why don't I wrap the cucumbers in seaweed-based plastic alternatives? And those that plastic alternative degrades after after uh, thirty days, 
And that's okay because the cucumbers degraded after 30 days. So we don't want plastic that lasts 40 years. And why don't I do that because it's sensible? And why don't I put that on my product and differentiate? And I know mm. what is going to happen to the company that leaves the long-term plastic packaging on their cucumbers. It's not going to be very pretty. So this is this is uh, the the what you're observing these tipping points all around you, but what we do as humans is we cling to our comfort zones, um, and we we try to say that's just an outlier opinion. That over there, that's a just another outlier opinion. It's not really going to go mainstream because people are just don't do that. You know, people are too lazy, people are not reactionary enough. But I'll tell you something: when there is an outlier. And that outlier is activating. That is just a symbol of what really already exists in the mainstream. The only mm -hmm. thing that's stopping it becoming mainstream is the fact that an alternative is not yet available. So for businesses, mm -hmm. of course, the real opportunity is to keep a reading of their environment and look at these, these, these changes and be honest with yourself. You're not aware of these things. You don't know what's going on. So go and ask people okay, and really listen to them. Because you know that you need to be humble sometimes in business and realize you don't have all of the answers. Go and listen mm -hmm. to them. Try and pick up on these things that are happening that are important to your customers and consumers and suppliers and employees, and try and grasp those as a way to differentiate your business. That is how you're going to surf through that great shift, and you'll enjoy the ride actually. But if you leave it, wait and see. I think that's a real dangerous thing to do. Mm -hmm. Beautiful points that you highlighted there, um, Steve. Now that reminds me, when I was in high school, I got my first copy of Future Shock by uh, Alvin Toffler. And um, there, were, there were many, there were many strange things that he was um, saying in that book. For example, um, that was in the 1990s, and he was already predicting that there will come a time when houses, when houses can be... Um, taken from one location and moved to another location. So it's like a modular houses. Yeah. And then to my mind, to my, I was still in high school then, to my young mind, and I was thinking, how could that be possible? That yeah. Because we all know that houses, ha they have deep foundation, deep into the earth. So how can you just move one, one house, whole house from one location to another when I want to go to, to, to Ottawa from Minnesota? So how is that? Are you going to, to bring it in a in a cargo ship or uh, on the back of a big truck and now we're saying we're, we're seeing prefabricated um houses so it was not really strange at all it no, just you know what's, what's really years. jennifer what's really interesting about what you just said there is that author it might seem as though that there were certain ideas they were pushing forward in the book but what was most interesting about about that is our reaction to those ideas and there's a similar reaction to ideas now. I, I hear people telling me, and I'm interviewed. I've been interviewed um, very recently, and one of the one of the last questions was: NASA just predicted that if we don't fix everything by 2025, then we're all doomed. And uh, so, what's the point? Uh, but in the next breath, they're saying, "Who's going to do something about this?" Mm -hmm. uh, and and I and and it's somehow very difficult for people to grasp that they might be the ones that have to do something about it, and uh, and that it is reasonable for them to be able to do that, and business is the right place for that activism to happen, um, mm -hmm. for that activation to happen, and and it seems unbelievable because it just because it doesn't exist yet, and mm -hmm. it's like movable houses. What was actually being tested there? was allowing you to observe your own reaction to disruptive ideas. And because it doesn't exist yet, that's not possible. But of course, we know, if we go back to the 1890s, when we were all, people were all stiff and uptight and dressed a certain way and family hierarchies and aristocracy controlled everything. And then 20, 30, 40 years passed, you had the you know, the swinging 20s, you had the 1930s, people's dress sense changed, family values changed, women got a voice, um, the aristocracy crumbled, and, you know, and, and because it was archaic and irrelevant. And, and these, this, what was considered dangerously disruptive in 1895 and impossible to imagine, it's silly. 
how can women vote? They don't, don't understand politics mm. in 1895. Um, but in 1935, it was so what did that ever happen? You know, so so when we are a condition of the times that we are in, and we're not in the times of the future, but that's the point about being a successful business person. You have to do the here and now, and you have to be really, really good at that. But in parallel to that, you have to do the future as well. You have mm -hmm. to create a safe space and time where you can take some of your people into, you know, a safe place where you can be in the future. And, and mm -hmm. you can really be in that future and build out what that future could look like and mm -hmm. play with these themes, look at the probability of them becoming real and, mm -hmm. and plot what you can do about them in time horizons. Sorry, this is part of the five horizons model, but there's, there are actually, there's not one plane of existence in, which is today and yeah. next year. There's actually mm -hmm. several planes of, of reality and they're yeah. all equally real in potentiality, uh, mm -hmm. but you don't treat them as such. You look at the at the present here and now, and that's how we feel comfortable as humans. But in reality, as a business person, as a leader of the future, you have to be equally present in each of your five horizons. Yeah. Thank you for that, Steve. Um, I'm loving the conversation, but we'll go on a short break. And then after that, um, you will share about the five horizons model. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd love to. Thanks.
TNC is a live stream platform for shows on the go. Please watch all our shows as seen on screen. Imagine having your own show, your own playlist, your own content, but we make it easier for you. TNC aims to transform the lives of our viewers through engaging, authentic, and original content. Our vision is to become a global 24-7 live stream channel that showcases Filipino talent, global influencers, and cultural intelligence and ingenuity. Of course, we encourage you to continue supporting stories from the fringe. We are live streamed every Thursday, 10.30 a.m. Philippine Standard Time. You can watch the replay via Facebook or YouTube, follow us on IG, listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search hashtag TNC now. For sponsorships, please email now at thenewchannel.com or send us a DM. Enjoy these life-changing shows because we made them just for you. Welcome back to Stories from the Fringe. If this is your first time tuning in to this program, Stories from the Fringe aims to push for more diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in all aspects of our lives. We are committed to creating a world where individual differences like gender, class, ability, among others, are not only seen and understood, but also empowered and celebrated. We believe that we can all be a part of this collective um, vision. So before we went on break, we were speaking with Steve Sanders. Steve is a go-to-market strategist, boosting company-level value, rethinking ambitions, and then embedding systematic enablers for scale success that equips companies to pivot or course-correct in initiatives affecting product-to-service shift, go-to-market acceleration pursuits, routes-to-market partnerships, and continual improvement of readiness so shall we welcome steve again hi well that that sounded impressive jennifer thank you <laughs> well you are impressive steve and i am very impressive with the things that we have been discussing before the before the break and um so steve um before we went on a break we talked about um you sharing about the five horizons model as espousing your book Yes. So you want me to go a little bit deeper into that? Um, I, I've uh, I've used the word ecosystems over uh, many years, and people started yawning at me, you know, as though I was being tiresome. Um, I'm probably another, on. <laughs> yeah, it's, an, it's another Steveism. Oh, here we go, ecosystems. And then it became something. More people started saying so they wouldn't they wouldn't joke at my expense anymore. But really, I I've I've, I've uh, there's there's two different levels to five horizons you see that there's there's one which is founded in in that question of how do you really deal with what's going on in your ecosystem in, in a new way and i'll talk to that in a minute and the other dimension to five horizons is about about how we treat things that are happening in our future we talked just before the break about things are pushed out of, out of you know out of sight out of mind in the future we'll, mm -hmm. we'll deal with that when it comes so let's start with that one first. I mean, what, what I observed in companies and um, and the people working in companies is that, you know, necessarily I've, I get brought in when there's a disruption about to happen, whether that disruption is technology or, you know, customer environments or buying pro uh, approaches. And, and they want to know how do we deal with this and how do we not fail as a company? Because... Statistically, 40 to 45 percent of the big companies are not going to be around in, in seven or eight years. That's that's right. That happens. But how, how does this type of shifting thing, uh, you know, conditions shifting, how does that play out in causing those uh, those companies to to the mass extinction of companies effectively? And, and it has a real function to play because companies don't die because of recessions. You know, during recession, companies cut back their employee costs. They, they, they just tighten their belts a little bit. But usually they, they, you know, not all of them, but usually they, they can survive. What kills companies is disruptions. Uh, or more to the point, the, uh, the, the, uh, the tendency we have to ignore them, okay? Or, you know, our inability to, to use them properly. So, so I, I get brought in, and as a result of, of being exposed to so many of these things, I noticed that over 
um, uh, you know, uh, hierarchies of people. There's a pecking order of an mm -hmm. seniority. Who gets the money? Who gets to talk most at the, the big meetings? You know, um, who has authority when decisions are being made? And it mm -hmm. usually leans towards the people who are delivering profit now out mm -hmm. of what we call the cash cow in the business. Um, and the people that are speculating on what comes next, as soon as you take a project like that, you drop a couple of steps down the ladder. You know, you, you don't count anymore because it's like, uh, it's, it's all imaginary stuff. It's, 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 it's uh, flaky future thinking, speculation. We'll get to that, Steve. Don't worry. We're focusing on these machines right now, right? This is where we're, we're the important guys. So we had to figure out a way of dealing with that. And it's now become a business-as-usual model in a lot of big organizations, Horizons, dealing in different ways with, with the Horizons. But if you attach equal authority to the people that are leading plans for uh, ideas that are only really going to materialize in a later time horizon, then you have a very powerful engine behind you to to execute on those strategies, as long as everybody understands that they're being treated sensibly. Because if you start throwing cash at ideas that are still speculative, and they mm. might only manifest in, in Horizon 5 in the future, in the distant future, um, then you, you're maybe going about it wrong. Maybe you need to have a scenario plan you're watching and, and developing assets nice and steady and, and networking and building an ecosystem play around that. But, you know, so there's different handling strategies for different time horizons. And it caused organizations to think, okay, so I need to treat, you know, especially when I'm facilitating, um, please don't say to me, okay, yeah, there's the idea for Horizon 5. Let's go and leave it now for a while. Because actually any gaps that exist in your plans for each of those horizons, gaps mm -hmm. equal uh, vulnerabilities, right? So you need to have. So the other thing then in the five horizons is the ecosystem question. And I'll get back to the timeline in a minute. Yeah. The ecosystem question, in reality, people don't really uh, understand uh, what a thousand people looks like. Okay. Mm -hmm. Never mind a million. Um, and when they're dealing with things, they understand the people they work with and they understand their own company. Sometimes they understand their own company, but often not, right? Um, so you've got a value chain in your company. Every company has a value chain. Every business, even if you're a sole trader, you have a value chain. So if you look at Michael Porter's value chain, it includes how you do your administration, how you do your buying and who you buy from, who you sell to, how you generate profit, right? So it's all of the different elements of, of a value chain. But so do your suppliers have a value chain. And guess what? You affect what they do in that value chain and you can influence it. And that supplier also has suppliers. Okay, so that's two horizons down, yeah? And the other two horizons in the value chain are your customers have a value chain for their business. And their customers also, if they're business customers, also have a value chain. Or if they're consumers, they're part of a community, right? And there's various reasons why they buy products because they want to be better people or they want to feed their families or they want to turn up nicely dressed to work in the morning or, you know, they want to be fulfilling a need in, in whatever their environment is. So there is actually a value chain. So if you break down your ecosystem into your value chain and basically five interconnected value chains, and what do you do with that is you can either go and just look over there and see if there's any ideas. That's okay. Yeah, it's at least it's something. Or you can actually spend some time with people from there, find out where the vulnerabilities exist, find out where harm is being done, and find out where there's an opportunity for more good to be done, especially if you see you and your competitors doing some damage. Okay, you could be and maybe should be the first company to move on that and to amplify that and advertise it as a marketing advantage uh, or a differentiator. Yeah. So there's there's ways of structuring this and saying, OK, we're studying this now. How close do you go to that? Well, that's a choice. Um, I'm working with a, a sustainable community in Scotland and I've been invited by the investors. Now, they're trying to make this as sustainable as possible. But they said, will this stack up to scrutiny under the Five Horizons model? And my response actually was, well, well, to be honest with you, it can do. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're doing lots of good things around five interconnected um, value chains. But if you really want to, you really want to uh, try hard for this, then you can go deeper, and you can say, so what about the people who 
travel to visit our community, um, tourists, and we want to bring an extra 10,000 tourists into this community over the next few years. What about the transport companies? Are they sustainable? Maybe it's too much of an investment to become sustainable right away, but we're going to put pressure on them that maybe in Horizon 3 they will be. And by, by, by you know, timeline Horizon 3. So, so with this, you're starting to see now the ability that everybody has to at least have a little look into the value chains that they, they affect and the, from the supply side and those that they serve on the customer side, see what they want to do about stuff and plot that into the time horizons to say, this is my story. Okay, this is my honesty about what exists around my business. And this is what I'm doing about it. And this uniquely qualifies me as a company that cares, right? Mm -hmm. And that it has a principle and a, set, a purpose. And that purpose might be to completely uh, eradicate uh, any uh, hunger or disadvantage in, in the employees of my supply chain. This might be, you now I picked up that the children of the people who work in my suppliers factories in whichever country don't have an education. So I'm going to make a point to slightly increase the money that I pay for products, but to insist that that goes into an education program for people working in the factories. You know, there's, there's, and that becomes a principle. Okay. You don't have to have all of it. You know, you're not going to save the universe, but at least you can see things that, Hey, I could be doing better. Right. And, and, and my point in five horizons is this is not about being a nice person anymore. This is about stopping your company from collapsing when people mm. inevitably start looking closer. And they look closer because a competitor will come along pointing out where they're better than you are. Um, and it, this is in the backdrop of a humanity scale shift driven mm. by ecological disasters, by um, financial collapse, which, you know, spiraling inflation rates and currency devaluation, military yeah. conflict social issues in societies this is this is the symbols of a shift right it's a big big painful shift there's four phases there's a book i think it's called the four phases which tracks these four phases of humanity over hundreds of years they keep recurring we're in the fourth mm -hmm. phase this is just you know materializing in everything that you see around you at the moment it doesn't mean it's the end of the world it means that it's the beginning of something new and you got to make sure that you are known to be part of the new and mm -hmm. not a legacy of the old. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what this is. Okay. So um, Five Horizons model takes into account the timeline. Now, I wonder, does it also take into account existential risks like EMP attacks or nuclear meltdown, whatever will happen in the horizon? Yeah, this is where, wow, I mean, I could evangelize. Uh, a lot of different topics, and I try not to. Um, in the certainly in the book, if you get me over a, over at a, a, a table at dinner, uh, I would evangelize many different subjects. I try I try not to drown people with with too much because it depends how how much influence you have mm -hmm. uh, and how much of a difference that you can make, therefore, and how sensitized your market is to certain questions. Mm -hmm. and whether you have an advantage from educating the market on those questions. So um, uh, I, there is a supermarket chain in the UK, um, a big one, which is served by a facilities management client of mine. And, mm -hmm. and they have the ability to pr uh, prove the origin of any electricity that is being used by those, by each branch of, mm -hmm. the, uh, of the supermarket chain. So because they have the ability to show that to customers, that this is 80% solar panel generated from that solar farm in Essex, um, or it's using this energy supplier for the rest, um, that is enabling that retailer to become more evidentially green, which is gonna be a difference to their consumers, which is mm -hmm. gonna make them more attractive. And therefore, that becomes a differentiator for that facilities management company that they didn't really understand before. They can become the enabler of a green differentiator for their retail clients. Um, and and it's, it's that type of thing. So that is materially significant to the consumers of that particular company. It's something that they can influence, they can affect, and it's realistic to deliver that in Horizon 1.
Um, and, and therefore, that's what I would urge people to consider. Whether it's um, uh, fracking was a good example. I don't know how many people have heard of fracking, but it's it's a, a big a big theme. You know, five of the big fracking and petrochemical companies just went mm -hmm. to court trying to sue governments for billions of, of dollars because the governments changed the rules. Why did the governments change the rules? It's because they are um, under pressure from customers, from the public. And they're under pressure from uh, people that understand what is good and what isn't good. Um, and so, so organizations that are buying energy don't want to be associated with energy that's derived from fracking and really causing direct damage to the environment. Um, so these pressures all play out and increase the urgency of certain subjects. Um, uh, is it, so what I, would, what I would argue is there are many things that need to be fixed in the world that we can't fix all of them uh, as individuals, but we can fix some of them. And uh, the, the point of this, this whole movement is not to wait for any source of great genius from government uh, that will fix the big issues. Because I'm sorry, you can't, as we all know, none of us think about our, our, our government as being the most intelligent people, okay? They're just, they've got the job, right? Um, they, they've got the job, they've got a tough job, and they're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't expect grand, uh, you know, genius and huge solutions to descend from the clouds and bless mm -hmm. us with a better future. Isn't going to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be from the humility of business people and the vision of business people that look at their markets and they pick the things that they can affect. And the business people are going to make those changes to differentiate themselves. And the thousands of communities and families that are affected by those changes will benefit or will experience those those better practices. And that is, I think, where I where I prefer to pay attention. And yes, therefore, the answer short answer to your question is yes, if if a company thinks it's it's relevant, then Five Horizons does allow them to to pinpoint nuclear energy or whatever they want to say and make mm -hmm. that something that they are going to affect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the same vein, is Fiber Horizons also applicable to small and medium-sized enterprises? Because perhaps those who are listening to us right now, they were thinking, oh, this might only apply to big conglomerates. Is it? Yeah, pet subject of mine, Jennifer. Um, the, uh, this goes along the lines of um, what we do as, as people, right? The reason that we... We credit big people and big companies with the great movements that happen in society and in history. We we credit Nelson Mandela with 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 you know freedom in South Africa. We we blame Napoleon for the Napoleonic Wars, um, is because we don't like to take responsibility for things ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we give them credit for this stuff, but we also like to blame them. For this stuff uh, and the, the main reason that we do that as humans is because it's a defense mechanism it's more it's easier for us to accept there's somebody else that's going to fix it and somebody else that we can blame for it um, it's very difficult for us to sit there and go you know what when my grandchildren grow up and they ask me why is my neighborhood in such a state i'm going to say it's because i didn't bother Right, I, I didn't bother. I, I'm probably going to say it was those buggers in Unilever. Unilever, they're the ones, the big bad guys, right? And the government, they're the guys. They're the ones you should blame. What I'm saying is that I'm going to hold the mirror up to you and and say that every small business makes choices. And so do I as a, as a business person. I, I can choose where to focus my energy and my intellect. That's my product. And I'm choosing to hold companies to account with my energy, you know, with my personal intellect and energy. I'm choosing to do that. I could easily go for greed and say to companies, as many others are, bugger that. You know, I don't listen to those pressure groups. Go for profit and screw the stakeholders. That's what can. And, of course, shareholders would think, oh, okay, short term, let's go for it. That could, you know, but, but the reality is I know. I don't know what the writing is on the wall. This is how small companies become bigger. This is how medium companies become the biggest. Um, this is how unicorns grow from from startups within five years. Uh, 
mm-hmm. right? Billion, billion pound companies, dollar, billion dollar companies grow from being startups. How do they do that? The answer is that they are better at dealing with things that people care about than other people might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so what people care about in this generation and moving forward for the next 10 years is going to be far different. It's not growth oriented. It's not self-satisfaction. It's going to be resilience in society. It's going to be sustainability. Yes, I want my gratification. Yes, I want my material stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to forgive you for all of the, the harm that you do just because I get a new T-shirt. Now, that's mm-hmm. very idealistic of me. I'll admit that now. I'll admit that. There are a lot of short-term thinking people. The I, I live in a society where I say cathedrals don't get visited anymore. The big shopping malls are the cathedrals. And they mm-hmm. go there to worship the gods of retail and consumerism. Um, but but having said that, if you have uh, a recognition of what happens by osmosis, this is by the transference of ideas between one person and a, and a group of people, and then that group and another group, and mm-hmm. the transference of values, then you'll realize that these shifts and these cultural shifts are happening. And so mm-hmm. it, it's about being the small company that understands the community it's serving, that understands its stakeholders, that realizes it can gain more by doing more and doing better. Mm -hmm. Um, People are universally sensitized to that at the moment. So regardless of where you are, and if you have ambitions to becoming a big company, whether whether it's a billion or whether it's a million or 10 million, if you have uh, aspirations to become a big company, I'd suggest you are going to struggle to get investment Mm -hmm. unless you show very, very strong um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and sustainability uh, behaviors as a company. Very, very difficult to get investment moving forward. Um, and you are not going to attract the best employees or customers unless you, you wear that on your sleeve, right? And you show people what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Steve. This has been a very insightful discussion. Thank you for sharing um, all the things that you have been doing in ensuring that we have a world that is ready and also um, beautiful, better than what we um, than what we have right now. So, how can our how can our viewers stay in touch with you and follow you on social media? How can they purchase your book? So, I um, oh, okay. This is uh, there, there is a, a, a URL there. I think the fivehorizonsbook.com site mm-hmm. and adding yourself to the list. If you are interested in this movement, what we'll be doing is offering uh, online resources. I'm not looking to uh, get rich out of this. I'm looking to spread the, the tools around and enable people if they want to, to do it themselves or to become part of communities ultimately where, we'll, where, where we're exploring the opportunity if people are interested to work with peers in business in a Five Horizons themed approach to help each other get better and to work through these things. So the one thing that people can do is to register on the fivehorizonsbook.com site. Um, The other thing, of course, is to buy the book. It's on uh, Amazon in India. It's on Amazon everywhere. It's on Amazon in Japan, Australia, um, America. Uh, it's uh, marked, it's labeled at least as the number one new release on um, on the us.com site um, and, and very high category r- r- ranking. So it's it's at least getting the, the right kind of attention. Um, and I'd, I'd obviously like to think people will, will spend, I think there's still a few hours left, a few hours only. And this is something people should, at the very end of this call, should really think about. The publisher has made the Kindle version available for 90 cents uh, just for a day. Okay, and we're still, I think, within that period for a few hours. Okay, uh, so they should definitely check on their Amazon for that or, or buy the book or buy the Kindle and, and read it and just try and spend a bit of time thinking it through. Be patient with me because the book is a storytelling book. It's not a list of facts. It's not a framework explained because I could do that in 10 pages. Um, it is helping people understand how they can explain this to other people and how they can use those stories and, and really get it under the skin of this transformation that's happening um, mm-hmm. and, and how to how, you know, make advantage from that. So, so I definitely recommend the book on Amazon. 
um, or in uh, Waterstones or Barnes and Noble, and um, and uh, also to to register if you if you're interested in being part of the of the movement. I'm sure it will transform a lot of lives and also a lot of businesses. Thank you, Steve. Again, I'm so happy. It's wonderful having you on the show. It's been a great pleasure and really, uh, really nice. And I just extending a thank you to those who've watched. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to have this platform, Jennifer, to at least uh, share the message, you know, and, and, and help people maybe go and just move that a little bit closer to, to the future in a good way. Yeah. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Dear viewers, if you love today's session, today's episode, we encourage you to be with us again next Thursday. And also we encourage you to um, also have your loved ones, family and friends join us next Thursday, next Thursday. Thank you all so much for being here. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or evening, depending where you are in the world. God bless everyone. Thank you.